0: From downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis & Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective.
1: This is Money Talk for the first weekend of December 2023. Checking the calendar, seems like we haven't had a Packer game in months. Well, that's changing this Sunday. The reigning world champion Kansas City Chiefs are coming to Lambeau with or without Taylor Swift. And the Bucks welcome the Atlanta Hawks to Fiserv this Saturday night and also this Saturday it's the Santa Cycle Rampage. That's where people dress up as Santa, jump on bicycles, and go bar hopping. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Let's start with Orlando and get the Florida bashing out of the way. A Disneyland guest was arrested after stripping off all of his clothes on the ride, It's a Small World. <laughs> well, that's not something to brag about. <laughs> America First Republican Congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene just released a new book. It was printed in Canada. <laughs> Vladimir Putin pardoned a Satanist cannibal and then sent him to the Russian front in the war, of, uh, in the war with Ukraine. I think that qualifies as a war crime. We all know one of the busiest shopping days of the year is Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Did you know it's also the busiest day of the year for plumbers? Don't think about that too much. (laughs) Canadian police are applauding a hefty jail sentence for a man who was caught driving despite being the subject of nine lifetime driving bans. Now, for the understatement of the year, the cop says he showed little regard for the law, really. (laughs) And finally, our headline of the week, overweight Chinese man's big belly saves him from falling down a well. Sounds like a job for Lassie. (laughs) (laughs) On the podcast today, we have Dave Sandstrom, Tom Papenfuss, Joel Driesing, and wrapping up the week. Here's Kyle Tedding.
2: Well, thanks, Max. And we want to be sure we don't miss the Marquette UW game on Saturday as well. Should be, A big opportunity for uh, for your number three Marquette Golden Eagles to uh, continue to prove that uh, that they're worth it. Um, or uh, the other way around, or uh, well, no, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna lean towards Marquette here. Uh, <laughs> a, a good week overall for the markets, uh, putting a cap on I think what was a pretty incredible month. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average up two point four percent on the week, up eight hundred and fifty five points, closing at thirty six two forty five on Friday. The S&P 500 up eight-tenths of a percent. That's up 35 points for the week. And then NASDAQ up three-tenths of a percent, closing at 14305 for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 11.6%, including dividends. The S&P up 21.5. And then NASDAQ up 37.8%. That, uh, also worth pointing out, the move significantly lower in the rate on the 10-year U.S. Treasury from... start of the week at 4.47 down to 4.23. We had touched as high as almost 5% in mid-October. And since, it's been quite the run for bonds. And, you know, Dave, I think some of that comes on what has been a market expectation that an interest rate cut is coming. Uh, And when you listen to the Fed talk, and we had plenty of comments this week as the Fed kind of gets their their final comments out before they go into their blackout period right before the December 12th meeting. Um, And and most of them were saying, hey, yeah, we think we're maybe near the end of the rate hike cycle, but don't count on cuts yet because we got more work to do. Uh, And yet, we're also dealing with what was the best market for bonds, the best month in basically 40 years, you got to go back to May of 1985 to see a, a return that was better than the return we saw on the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index in in, uh, in November. What What's going on here with this idea that, yeah, you know, the market seems to believe maybe the rate cuts are in, the Fed a little more hesitant to commit to that?
0: I saw a great headline to kind of close the day today, and it said that both the stock market and the bond market are calling the Fed's bluff. On this uh, mantra that rates are going to be higher for longer, and it's going to be very interesting to see who is correct in the end. Uh, so, um, and obviously, time will tell. Uh, you know, I think there's just been some really strong indicators that the Fed, what they've been doing, the work they've been doing to bring down inflation, is working. You know, we're we're finally starting to see some weakness in in the housing uh, market a little bit. Uh, Joel's uh, almost steal a thunder in your indicators, but. Pending home sales hitting a 20-year low. Uh, you know, so we always have known that the real estate market is a tendency to really lag in, in environments like this, the, the impacts of rising rates. You know, a lot of the other inflationary uh, areas have come down quite a bit since the Fed has started uh, this rate hike cycle, uh, and housing might be the last domino to fall. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, time will tell on, on the Fed. Uh, and I think there's also, you know, in the bond market, you know, we we spent a lot of time not making much money in bonds, right? And now that investors see that 5% number out there, uh, like you mentioned in October, I think there was a lot of people that finally said, okay, I'm in.
2: Yeah, basically 75 basis points lower on the 10-year if all you did was buy an intermediate term bond. You know, that 75 basis point move is probably worth 3 or 4% in price, Um, And so the the gains that we saw in bonds have been pretty substantial. You know, Tom, one of the challenges I've faced in, you know, my regular meetings with clients, and I suspect you're facing it as well, is remaining committed to that, uh, you know, that idea that bonds provide some ballast, to that idea that maybe the road ahead for bonds looks a little easier, um, you know, certainly I've set aside cash where appropriate, but, you know, are you finding it challenging on occasion to have those conversations about, no, there still is some life left in the bond side of your portfolio?
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it, it kind of goes back to the, the buy low, sell high mantra. And I think if I point out to people, and this has happened not only with stocks, but with, especially with bonds over the last couple of years, is, um, I, I mean, I think the last time, last quote I saw was just, it's been the worst two years, a year and a half or so in bonds and 150 years, you know, as far as performance is concerned. And, you know, I kind of see these almost as shock value um, anecdotes, if you will. But the, the reality is, is that makes me optimistic that there's probably better days ahead, um, you know, that we're at the this trough and at some point it's just better days ahead. And, you know, I, I think the other challenge we have and what we do is, you know, we're meeting with clients and looking at things year to date, and that could be, or ever since the last meeting we may have had with them and it could be three months could be six months and it's kind of marrying looking at short-term data and performance and kind of what we see over longer term and kind of extrapolating that because we don't want to react too quickly to things and if we look at you know bonds have been pretty terrible uh for a long period of time you know i, I, I kind of have to put that expectation in that we're, we're looking we're trying to play the long game here there's a marathon and um, I would expect much better returns and kind of using some of the simple math that we talk about you with with duration and multiplying the you know interest rate movements times duration to, to find out what the an average price movement might be within their bond portfolio and say, okay, well, let's say let's do a little scenario planning and if if rates do nothing, here's what happens, here's the yield on your bonds, and this is what you can expect. And if rates, if you're optimistic, rates go down another half a percent, we'll multiply that by your duration. And that, that's, uh, you know, the, the price movement you can expect to see. So it's a little bit of kind of going through that exercise to help set, I guess, uh, a fairly realistic expectation, you know, uh, across the spectrum of what might happen.
2: And I think that bond math is so critical to those conversations. It helps potentially avoid missing out on what I think is a pretty meaningful opportunity in bonds. And yet, Dave, the Investment Company Institute coming out with some numbers that suggest that perhaps there is a a large pile of cash on the sidelines that is missing out on the bond market. Some of it there for very obvious reasons, but also, you know, maybe we're getting to a level where, um, you know, that cash might be starting to find a better use. You know, I I find it comforting, Kyle, to see that type of cash uh, available.
0: Now, I think people have been very content with making 5% in cash, obviously that's something that we haven't been able to discuss with clients and probably since the financial crisis that you make that kind of money on on a money market. So I think people have been very content with that, ride out some of the volatility in both bonds and stocks. And yeah, I'm happy collecting 5% on my cash. Uh, but it's comforting to know that it's there because think about as time goes forward from now, you know, short-term rates uh, likely over time to come down. Uh, that gives us a lot of fuel, a lot of ammunition to put towards areas of the market that may look attractive. And that typically provides you with ballast and, and you know, kind of some downside protection. If stocks look more attractive uh, with some weakness in the future, you might have some, some you know, support coming via that big cash pile.
2: And amid all this safe money conversation, bonds and cash and the like, we also uh, I think need to mention just how strong of a month it was in November for stocks more broadly. As we record this, the S&P was pushing close to 4,600 uh, for the first time since going back to late July, and prior to that, you got to go all the way back to 2022 to see it. And so, uh, you know, from a price perspective, we are still below the peak for the S&P, but we're certainly getting a lot closer after the run in November. And so for balanced portfolios, you know, you didn't have the typical, yeah, it was a great month for stocks, but bonds took a little bit away, or yeah, it was an okay month for bonds, but stocks were terrible. You know, the balanced investor looked at their portfolio at the end of October and said, what's going on here? They're going to see that same statement into November and go, oh, okay, never mind. I can wash out those last three months. And we're basically back to where we were at the end of summer. And I think, you know, that's an encouraging place to be as we get into the last month of the year. It certainly makes our lives a little bit easier as we talk about, um, you know, how do we rebalance from here? How do we reposition from here? We're doing it from um, maybe not the high water mark, but a much higher water mark than where we were before. And, you know, Joel, amid all of this, we have a lot of conversation on kind of how consumers feel. Um, and in particular, we got some economic data this week on uh, kind of the consumer's opinion, um, and a bit of a white paper from uh, the Chicago Fed on maybe the the broader kind of definition of what that really means for what we see out there in the economy right now.
4: Yeah, Kyle, the, the Fed did some research um, showing that uh, th- th- their reliance on uh, consumer sentiment and even business sentiment um, is off, That um, since especially since the pandemic, that um, people seem to be a lot more Pessimistic than the economic indicators would suggest, um, especially if you consider uh, the tight job market, which you know generally means uh, for consumers you don't have to worry about losing your job as much. You don't have to worry about losing wages. In fact, that's a good time for wage increases, which we've seen, um, and that usually fuels consumer sentiment. Um, but we still have you know numbers from both the uh, The conference board and the University of Michigan saying that sentiment is down, that people are pretty pessimistic, pretty gloomy about what the economy is, when in fact there are a lot of indicators that say they shouldn't be.
2: Yeah, what's interesting, and you mentioned before the show, is those indicators pointing towards recession, right? This expectation that we should probably have been in one already, Mm -hmm. depending on uh, which of those kind of sentiment measures you're looking at. And yet, um, you know, by all measures, the economy grew pretty uh, pretty markedly in the third quarter expectations for some continued modest, if not um, you know, respectable growth going forward. Um, and so it is so interesting to me, and Dave, you have so many of these conversations with clients I know that I, I do as well. You know, they come in the office and they want to tell us, hey, you know what's going on? things that are, are not great out there right now. I think that's true, certainly, depending on where you look. But then you have the broader conversation about well, what are, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? And more, more importantly, how does it impact what you're spending? And I think when you ask those questions, you maybe get a different answer from the first part to the second, right?
0: Yeah, it is kind of funny, and and you 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 bring up a great point, is and Joel in, in reference to your uh, statement about the study, that it's not coinciding with what's really going on. You know, people are are pessimistic. They're negative maybe even to a, to a point in conversations, clients, and yet they're not changing behaviors. As a matter of fact, if anything, I've seen an increase in spending and travel and leisure and splurging on vehicles or, or <laughs> toys and boats and campers that uh, is fueling a lot of economic activity despite what we're seeing as kind of a pessimistic attitude.
4: And Dave, some of that might be pent up still from from the recession that we had, the short recession and the gloom that kind of followed that after after the pandemic. Um, Some of the numbers that I saw this week, for instance, showed that consumer spending, although uh, from September to October, it was the slowest month for spending since March. um, It also showed that uh, saving, that personal saving, um, reached a level of $769 Six, $769 billion, which sounds like a lot, but that's down from $1.3 trillion um, just before the pandemic, and it's down from $6 trillion, um, you know, in, back in April of 2020 when nobody could spend anything. And remember, the government was trying to uh, infuse money into the, con- the economy so that people would spend some more. So you know, there's, there's some sign there that um, spending is starting to slow, but it's still going.
2: And you know, maybe one other area that has been so interesting to me, and Tom, it's something you and I were talking about earlier is just watching energy prices, watching what's going on with OPEC, watching what's going on with some of these global conflicts. And you know it's interesting the one area of the market in November that didn't make money on at least a sector level was energy stocks. Um, and then you've got OPEC, you know this week having conversations about what do we do. It's so interesting to me as part of the inflation conversation, right, oil prices, and in particular, you know, prices at the pump or something that so many of us point to as, hey, it's inflationary. You know, what are you seeing as you kind of look at some of those uh, those areas?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's one of the big surprises we've seen here just in the last month or two is, you know, since the Middle Eastern war and conflict that's going on, uh, people naturally expected oil prices or gas prices to go up. We haven't really seen that, right? I mean, oil Prices right around seventy-five dollars a barrel right now, bouncing around there. Um, now with announcements that the OPEC Plus nations are planning to cut uh, um, supply uh, and or increase cuts to supply, um, but still the markets are not re- really reacting to that. We haven't seen the, a spike, and and I think a lot of that has to do with some of the maybe maybe disagreements and disjointed. Um, you know, kind of beliefs on what is better for each individual country uh, right now at the moment. So right now the, the market is just kind of telling us that, well, we'll believe it when we see it. Um, and, you know, again, it, and it, not to mention the fact that, you know, the U.S. is producing as much oil as we've ever produced in, in our history. So uh, these are all things that are leading to and keeping, you know, the gas prices, oil uh, oil prices at a more reasonable level. And and we haven't seen that shock that, uh, you know, many people have feared.
0: It's fascinating to watch the uh the course that oil prices have taken, isn't it, over the last uh, couple of years? I mean, prior to the uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia, we were at about 75 bucks a barrel, went all the way up to 150, doubled during the height of that conflict. And to your point, Tom, we're back down in the mid 70s again. And so it's incredible the the change that that has taken um, over that just a short amount of time.
2: Yeah, and I think it's so important to the larger conversation because well, gas prices specifically, or oil prices, you know, more broadly, are just a small sliver of the inflation basket. Um, you add up what we've seen in the used car market, even in the new car market in some places, and more stable prices. Uh, you add in, uh, a, you know, a housing market that's seen some slowing in some areas, and certainly, um, you know, the housing prices don't translate directly to most measures of inflation, but they're going to make their way through. And you add in oil prices and energy prices that have been much more stable than they were. I think it's all part of the bigger picture we've been talking about of, yeah, inflation really is coming back down. It's not everywhere all at once. There's a lot of factors that play into it, as I think, you know, Tom, you you highlight with, you know, kind of the OPEC conversation. And Dave, you highlight with kind of the the war in Ukraine conversation, that's all noise that kind of uh, underlies the the bigger picture of what's going on with prices. But at the end of the day, you can look at the pretty hard numbers and go, if we're measuring the same thing month over month, year over year, what's inflation actually look like? It has been coming down. You know, Joel, maybe the last thing I'll mention is a newsletter that's on its way out. Um, You know, a good article from you talking about maybe some some fear of when to claim social security and how that might weigh uh, on our decision making, maybe leading us to to choose to claim a little earlier than what what might otherwise make sense.
4: Yeah, again, looking at uh, researchers and what they've found about um, people reading headlines about the Social Security trust fund and believing that you know there's there's an expectation that that's going to um, be insolvent, you know, technically by 2033, um, and, and a fear that that means that there won't be any more Social Security. So I better take my benefits now, rather than doing what most of us understand, according to the research, and that's to delay taking benefits um, because the payments go up. So uh, yeah, so I, I wrote an article about that to basically say, even if the trust fund becomes insolvent, eighty percent of social security benefits should be covered so so people shouldn't be afraid just to hang in there and and take social security when it benefits them they should look beyond those headlines and and then uh, there's also a piece that you wrote um, looking at stronger tools that are uh, out there for investors now that that help them uh, be more patient and and uh, uh, withstand some of the volatility that we've seen in the markets.
2: And, I think November was the perfect lesson for why we need those tools and you know the maybe what one of those tools isn't, which is market timing, right? This idea that, well, if all I do is miss out on three days in the month of November, I've missed out on probably thirty or forty percent of the return for the S and p this year. Uh, it doesn't take being wrong for long. Uh, to miss out on some of the best, and you know, maybe to bring it back to the earlier conversation on how we feel about the market, it came at a time in which, you know, consumers, investors weren't feeling all that great to begin with, and so, um, really critical, I think, that we, you know, continue that balance, continue that kind of uh, diversified approach that we take as a way to say, no, this protects us from being wrong uh, in a big way be wrong in lots of little ways, it's not going to cost you all that much. But if you're wrong in a big way and out of the market for you know, that short period of time, it can be detrimental to your year's return. With that, we enjoy doing the program for you. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at Landis.com.